Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. And a special shout out to Justin Applegate for the composition of the Live Sense 8 podcast music. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life, and we're also talking with cast and crew and team members of Sense8 to hear the experience from their perspective. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Tracy Wright, Conscious Parenting and Living Coach. She's shining clarity with compassion and understanding. You can find out more about her on consciouslyawesome.com. We also have Marisa Dranchak, Conscious Life Coach. Discover how vibrant life can be. You can find out more about Marisa at myconsciouslifecoach.com and Divine Phoenix Books. Books with a purpose for a positive change. Check out Divine Phoenix Books at divinephoenixbooks.com. In today's What's Going On segment, we have two very special visitors back with us. Maximilian Ewald, who you know as Grace... Neat's mom in Sense8, and Deirdre Weinberg, who is the artist who will be painting the mural in San Francisco. So you probably have already heard about the San Francisco Sense8 mural project that Maximilian has been helping to spearhead. The crowdfunding is about midway through right now, and we need to really pick up attention, get the word out there, and just have everybody donate no matter what you can do, whether it's a dollar, five dollars, or a thousand dollars, you want to be able to give it to them and let this first mural start the worldwide mural project for Sense8. Welcome, Deirdre and Maximilian. We're really glad to have you back here today. Well, thanks for having me. So you've been working very hard. I've noticed you all over the social media, really working at getting the message out to people. So first of all, before we get started, I just want to give you both a, a huge thank you from the deepest part of my heart, because I know how diligently and how much time and energy you've been spending on this, and I think it's really beautiful. And Maximilian, we just saw your article come out, um, and we're going to talk to you about that in a little bit. But Deirdre, we'd love to hear more about the image. I know there's a video out now. Now, where you talk a little bit about the image idea for the mural and why you have chosen it. But can you just go into some detail here today? Sure. So the idea was to have uh, Shiva, the creator and protector of the universe, stand in for the sensate characters. So in other words, they are in the image of Shiva with uh, eight heads and 16 arms. 
showing all of the faces of the characters. Nice. This is set against a circular background with all of the eight skylines of the cities that are shown in the series. And that entire image is set within a face. And on the side of the image, the words, I am not just a me, I am also a we appear, making it clear what this message is all about. That's really beautiful. And I love the idea of them coming together as Shiva. And I read... Once somebody said that it's like the the cluster is one being or with um, eight branches, and mm. I think that you're feeling that same thing. They're one unit, and they're individuals within it. And I love also the energy of Shiva and the protection of the world, and and the power that not only this series but the representation through the cluster is bringing to everyone. I think it's just very beautiful. And the other message from Sensei is, I see you. I think there's one thing that people have really said is that they feel seen. So having you choose to depict this in the brightness of the eye and then the shadow self um, in the background is just a... It's an incredible depiction. So I want to thank you and honor you for coming up with that. Can you talk a little bit about how that inspiration came to be? Like, did you see it immediately? Did it develop for you over time? Uh, No, it actually just popped into my mind when we started talking about the idea of the mural and and the purpose. I don't know. It's just kind of a gift. Sometimes things just come to you, and sometimes you have to work and work, and you still don't get it. This just came to me, and I also wanted to point out that in the front, Lana is the first character of the Shiva because she's uh, because this mural's starting in San Francisco. We thought it would be appropriate to have her. Nomi is the first person. I'm sorry, Nomi. Yeah, sorry. And uh, anyway, she's holding the eight as in Sensate, and initially in the first rendition of the eye. I had the eight horizontally because I realized that the eight in that position is in the infinity symbol. Oh, nice. Um, and I, Yeah, and I wanted to use that, but then we realized it doesn't look that, that good. It, it could be improved by holding it uh, vertically, but in, in the second depiction, the second rendition, it's tilted so that, you know, it's halfway there. <laughs> it's both the eight and semi-infinity I think that's perfect because I think that it's meant to be both, you know. In, yeah. In the, yeah. 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 Um, I think it's possible to put in both somewhere, like the eight and then the infinity, like sense eight forever, somewhere, yeah. somehow. And I just wanted well, to say something about the, the image. Um, I find it really powerful because I love the face in shadow. It's, it's, it's a trick of the eye like sense eight is it's very sense eight it's like you don't know what's going on right Right, away and you see this face in shadow kind of stark and lonely kind of uh there's a feeling of loneliness and then in the eye is life and joy and unity in uh diversity together you know it lifts it can lift the face lift the soul out of this isolation 
I that's what I love about it. Yeah, and as you're saying that, I get just this deep feeling in my heart because this is meant to invoke and to bring that that message to people who didn't ever experience Sense8 before. So that experience of just looking at the mural gives them a fractal of the experience of what it is to watch the series, which is really beautiful. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Deirdre. Yeah, and it sounds like divine inspiration for me. That's what I call it when, you know, it comes from beyond us and it just is in our impression right away. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, maybe it's a sign. Yeah, I think so. Speaking of divine inspiration, there's been things like that all along the way, all along this journey from finding the wall, finding Deirdre, who was willing to do the mural, to the four non-blondes rehearsing at Lennon's studio. These were all things that just kind of was like a red carpet being rolled out by the universe saying, come this way. That's great. And now I really do believe I'm holding the space and have complete faith that you that we are going to reach the goal and that this is going to come to be and that it's just the beginning of many murals around the world. Right. And I would like to talk a little bit about the fundraising and where we are. Deadline for the fundraiser, the 16th. Mm-hmm. So we can collect money up to the 16th. up to the sixteenth. Yeah. So yeah. So we're about halfway there, but we are not there in the funding. We need to. We sh- if we're at halfway in the funding, we should be at seven thousand five hundred. We're at five thousand five hundred and ninety-four right now. Thirty-seven percent funded with one hundred and one backers. Beautiful. So we're actually behind right now. I'm working really hard to. We're all working really hard to reach out to more, and I posted something yesterday on Twitter, actually on all on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, about how I think it's 1,900 and something people, and there are way more than that on fan groups, pay, wait, uh, spend $5, we would be there. So, since we know not everybody's going to do that, let's all go for as much as we possibly can. So, everyone that can do at least $5, even if you think your $5 or your $1 isn't going to help, your energy of doing it will help. And if you can push yourself and donate a little bit more, the money doesn't come out of your account until the 16th of July when we meet the goal at that date. So go ahead and use the power of manifestation, claim your donation, and then go create that for yourself because the universe responds. And and if you believe in it and you work towards it, I think that we can all come together and offer that donation. And it would be fun to hear the miracles of people who say, I'm going to donate and then let the universe bring that towards them. So that's one thing you can do is donate. But Maximilian and Deirdre, one of the other things I think that we really want to ask people here today is to not just promote it. Yes, tweeting it, retweeting it, putting it on social media. And anytime you do that, we are so grateful for you. But I'd like to take that up a notch and ask everyone to write to five people personally that you think might donate. And even if they would do it for a gift to you, something someone who you know would want to do something nice for you 
or if it's somebody that you know that loves Sensei or you think would love Sensei, just reach out. If everybody reaches out to five people personally, I think that we can reach this goal as well. Well said, well said. And I also want to add that there are many uh, fans out there who are participating by selling their products, like Heather, who does these beautiful Sensate rainbow pins. Yeah, Yeah, that's incredible. Um, And she sells them for $10, and out of each pin, $5 is going to our our project. So half half the proceeds are going to our project. Uh, There's somebody selling um, I Am Also We t-shirts, the ones that um, Miguel wore in Brazil. Um, And he's also donating proceeds. And there's other people out there doing the same. I can send you that information. Absolutely. We'll keep that. That will be in the in the post. We'll give everybody okay. the links for those things as well as the link to donate to the fundraiser. Yeah. Give a shout out to that link right now. We're going to keep talking for a minute, but give a shout out and tell everyone how to donate right now. And then we'll do it again at the yes. end. You can just go straight to kickstarter.com and type in the search bar, I am also a we, that is the title of the mural. In the Kickstarter page, our social media contacts. Great. So donating, Uh, going right to the Kickstarter page, putting your donation in, and then finding all those links and going and tell everyone on those links that you just donated. There's your, there's your assignment. (laughs) But if you go to Kickstarter, type in, I am also we. All right. So before we go, I do want to hear a little bit. You two went to Pride in San Francisco. We all know that there's some really profound Pride scenes in San Francisco in the Sense8 series. And we've seen pictures of you out at Pride spreading the Sense8 mural news. Can you give us a little, a couple little stories about how that went for you and some of the experiences that you had? Fantastic! I yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, it was it was really fun. Uh, Deirdre made she put she enlarged the picture of our mural and we put it on a poster and carried it around and and that drew attention to it and people recognized it and then they recognized me and they were so adorable as they always are and let's see it was. It was just amazing, and for me, going on the way home on on uh, Muni, it's our bus buses. All along the way, I ran into Sensate fans who just were fantastic, and one of them <laughs> gave a very huge donation so to our wonderful. project. So that was a wonderful. He was wonderful. So I do want to say. Also, I was working so hard. There was a speaker on the stage all these different speakers, um, and I thought, oh, if I could get up there and announce it. But um, that did not happen. They had their schedule, and I, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Video there of a, a young man with long hair who I think gave a really wonderful talk about Sensate. 
Great. So we'll have that link of that video on the page for you to look at as well. Maximilian and Deirdre, thank you so much for being here. And I have to go now. We're going to be talking to your sweetie, Maximilian. I know. (laughs) Evangelical James is up next. And um, we're excited about that. And it's like two ships crossing in the night here. So. He is a sensate promoter. So thank you, Maximilian. One more time, we want everyone to go to kickstarter.com, search I am also a we, find the mural project there and explore all the things that Maximilian and Deirdre have shared there. Then make your donation Share it out on all the social medias, which you will find on Kickstarter on that page. And then pick out five people that you imagine wanting to donate and go send them a personal message and a request to support this project because this is epic. And before we go, Maximilian, you have one more shout out. I do know that you have another member of your team. We just want to give her a thank you. Thank you for that. Her name is... Susanna Grillo. I introduced her to the fandom on all on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So she is out there interacting with people, and you can contact her. Please, I also want to ask people, submit questions. If you have any questions about the mural, I know that, I know that people are eager to see uh, the close-up of the eye, and uh, Deirdre is working on that. It's a work in progress. Uh, the magic happens on the wall. The magic is in the process. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you, Maximilian and Deirdre. We are so glad you came. Thank you to everyone listening. Stay tuned as we go talk to James, the evangelist of Sense8. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Sheila and Zach. You know Sense8 evangelist James from our Chicago Adventures. If you recall, James is Maximilian Ewalt's partner. Maximilian is Amanita's mom, Grace, on Sense8. James is joining us today to share his reflections of what it feels like to be welcomed into the Sense8 family and the impact this has had on both him and his art. James Motlow lived in Locke, California throughout the 1970s. During that time, he produced a body of photographic images of cafes, late-night donut halls, Sacramento Delta farmers and farm workers, Sacramento neighborhoods, lowriders, and his neighbors in Locke. These images have been published locally, nationally, and internationally. His stock images have been sold on Magnum in New York and Jeroboam in San Francisco. He has images in the collection of the Oakland Museum, Crocker Museum, as well as many private collections. After 30 years in San Francisco Bay Area, he returned to Locke, where he lives now. Welcome, James. James, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Zach. (laughs) Thank you, Sheila. It's an absolute delight to be here with you two lovely, magnificent people (laughs) that I love dearly. No, oh, well, we feel the same way. Exactly, ditto. Getting some feelings of being out on that deck, having coffee, it feels great. And epic conversation <laughs> and adventures. Yes. 
Truly, truly. It was a fortunate grand time. And what, you know, it, it lives on. Absolutely. In my memory. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's start there and maybe share sure. a little bit about what it was like. Because coming to San Francisco and or from San Francisco to Chicago, um, you know, we shared on our episode a little bit about our experience hanging out with you. But you had a whole nother experience having it be, I believe, the first time that you met Lana and Karen and were welcomed into the cast family. And so tell us about that magical moment. Well, the Chicago trip, actually, you started off with going from San Francisco to Chicago. Actually, it's a little bit more nuanced than that because I actually left Locke, where I currently live. And for your listeners who do not know, Locke is one of uh, probably the most important uh, uh, community, Chinese uh, town that still exists uh, in in the United States. And the current population is about 80. And if you see any photographs of Main Street Lock, which if you see my book, uh, Bitter Melon, you'll see Main Street Lock. And it looks like um, a ramshackled old western town with two-story buildings, wooden and such. So I come from that all the way to Chicago. <laughs> Chicago was a mind-blower, an absolute visual treat uh, in so many uh, ways. Um, but coming back to probably something that has a little bit more relevance for, for your listeners and actually for me too, because it's really affected my life, was, um, well, my sweetie, uh, <laughs> Max. I, I just call her Max, but Maximilian Ewald, yes. And her involvement with the with the Sensei project, uh, and even before the shooting started, um, uh, the cast, which was there in force um, in San Francisco, uh, to you know begin the filming, they had done the table read and such, and uh, Max was invited to um, Lana and Karen's home right. uh, as kind of a pre shoot. And that's when I first met uh, Lana and Lily um, and Karen and the rest of the Sensei um, crew and, and actors. And the thing that struck me almost straight away from the moment I was at the threshold of the door was the inclusiveness that, and love that, um, that I received from... from Lana and, and Karen, who were there greeting us. And it was an immediate embrace. It was an immediate, like, we are so happy to have you here. And I'm looking around, and, you know, there are, I think there are a few others who have brought their significant others. But I felt kind of in this, you know, this really special group of people. And I'm just in a sense, a regular human, like <laughs> all your, your listeners, you know, I'm not, I'm not an actor. And I'll tell you, having been around Max and been around the other actors in, in Sensei, it is a craft. It is something they work really, really hard at perfecting, at 
the whole uh, realm of of just their craft, um, learning the making sure they know their lines, placement, how they you know how you move, how you how you do takes, the emotional kinds of states that you have to bring forth to to actually uh, so it looks good on the screen, right. And I remember, you know, going over and, you know, I got, you know, I got to read the, the entire first episode. And one of the things that I was struck with was the brilliance of the writing. And this was before I met, um, you know, Lana, but, and, and had that party experience. But just simply reading the script itself, this was, I was amazed with how well this thing had been written. Um, I, I had read, you know, oh, Horton Foote, who, um, who is um, one of the great screenwriters. He wrote um, the screenplay for To Kill a Mockingbird and also another more contemporary film, one of my favorites of all time, Tender Mercies. And he's done a lot. He's, he's like, and so I have some knowledge about um, script writing. And this was amazing. The way this moved from the very first setup all the way through, it was just like, wow, this moves. This has, this has, uh, this has emotion. This has movement. This has, um, you know, just it draws you right in. And that was the same when I felt when I actually, you know, that kind of, of drawing in and, and, and just excitement of, of, of being around uh, the cast and um, Lana and, and Lily and um, Karen, I you know I really thank my sweetie Max, who I want to take a special note right here to let all your li- listeners know throughout the world. Max has started this uh, mural campaign here in San Francisco, and she has a Kickstarter. I am a we. Um, and it's an amazing mural that um, a good friend of hers has put together and has the space, has the design. It's just needing to raise money. They have a goal of 15000 and I think they have a few thousand already, but they need to get more. This is something that the fans can really help out with. Just, you know, whatever you can helps. And if this can happen in San Francisco, this mural idea can be expanded to cities around the world. So a special shout out to, to Maximilian Ewald, my sweetie, who is <laughs> the driving force behind this mural project. And it's fabulous. So. Absolutely. We've Thanks donated, that up, yeah. but we might donate again. We just <laughs> all got to keep going back there till we hit that goal, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, let's talk about the special screening we had in Chicago and how seeing the episode there impacted you on a personal level? Well, you know, that's a good question, Zach, because, you know, seeing it was mostly a visual experience. Um, The acoustics in the theater were a little bit wanting, so it was really hard for me to hear the dialogue. So trying to understand the storyline was kind of, I just had to let go of. So it became kind of like a real visual ride, which in a sense was really great because the visuals are so dynamic. <laughs> so 
much fun to be a part of. And then the other thing, it wasn't like just sitting in front of your screen at home watching this, but being in a theater of enthusiastic fans who are just thrilled to, to see the characters, whenever the character arrives on screen, they're given this huge applause and, and the hoops and the hollers and yay. And it was just, it was, um, it was infectious to be part of that. Uh, and um, it, again, and then I, I keep coming back to the sense of, of family and connectedness the connectedness between the fans and the and the cast. I mean, when the cast got up with uh, along with Lana and Karen and the production group, and were there, you could feel that kind of of just warmth and and gratitude going both ways, and mm -hmm. yeah. um, particularly Karen. No, excuse me, particularly Lana and her humanity and her acknowledging that the, how her own personal courage to be who she was and work through all the challenges that that she has encountered has made her this person that can achieve these remarkable um, things like Sense8 and like her life, her, her and the, the marriage to Karen, uh, the relationship to her fans. It was, for me, incredibly inspiring. So, yeah, she, I, I came away very moved, affected, um, and, um, and, you know, I'm still going off of that energy from that. And then also, you know, I, I was part of that fortunate one that got onto this bus with all the, the cast and the, and the crew and departed from uh, the theater after the, um, after the screening and went off to Karen and Lana's um, home in Chicago. And what a delightful party that was. <laughs> They are so great to hang out with, every one of them. I, we had so many wonderful conversations and just, you know, everybody's so approachable. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, Brian and, and, and Max, uh, who plays Wolfgang, not my Max, but. You know. <laughs> so many Maxes and, in the cast. Yeah, just, they're so easy to hang out with and just you know talk about life with and right. it's great yeah where that was echoed for me was from the very beginning because uh my sweetie max uh who has been acting for quite a while and in a variety of different capacities from voiceovers to um to commercials to uh some you know tv stuff and such she was surprised and how, um, in a sense, uh, friendly and open and non um, kind of, you know, arrogance that, that was part of what she got involved with. 
Right. And she came back, I remember, from the very first day from she, when she came back from the table read. Um, of how she came back from the table read and that she was like, these are, they're so easy to be with. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing to me. I'm, I'm still in awe of the whole, you know, the whole essence that was created through this in every level. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, yeah. yeah. It's awesome. So James, when we were in Chicago and we started to meet and talk and we learned that you see the world, you have a very awesome, unique perspective on life and through imagery, and you are a, in my opinion, very talented, very gifted photographer. I, sh I told Sheila that I thought you were a wizard with the camera mm -hmm. because it's so natural to you. Like we're all sitting here diddle-daddling with our, our phones and all this kind of stuff and try to get the lighting right and all this kind of thing. And you just like stand there for a second and you don't even know that you took a picture and it's just like this masterpiece. Yeah, you're like, what just happened? Your camera's like usually at your waist. Like you're looking right. up at us. <laughs> it's like this natural <laughs> extension of of you. And, and we've got to, uh, you know, I've got to know you and uh, your perspective on, on life is awesome. And... Can you give us a little bit about where you started with your artwork and photography and how that has progressed and changed since Sense8 has been in your life? For me, it's I've always been closest to photographing people mm -hmm. in a sense and how that in my relationship with people, I'm as I said, I'm. I, I like being around people. The magic of the world is is something that has always thrilled me. And a camera uh, is a device that somehow lets you into people's lives. And if you're okay with a camera in people's lives, people generally are okay that you're in their life with a camera. And so, you know, I've, you know, like the idea of being like when we were in Chicago with you, just having my camera and just simply, this is my life. These are these people in my life and I'm going to photograph them. So um, my evolution as a photographer is now, um, I, I'm starting to do some different things and this comes back to one of the questions that you posed earlier on about how I was affected by by my experience um, and this relates directly to Lana's talk, speech, reaction to the audience there in Chicago. When she talked about her about the idea of courage and the idea of that once you start living the life that you know that's inside you without fear and to simply accept yourself and to, and, to, and to acknowledge whoever you are. I took that message to, to myself and said, in my own words, um, at this point in my life, I'm going to, you know, I'm 11 years away from being 80. What do I, you know, what is it that I want to to, to share with the world. Who, who am I inside? What, you know, 
I want to, I don't have anything to lose anymore. I don't have to impress anybody. I don't have to, if I never achieve any fame, that's okay. If anything, but what is inside me? And so I've had to, my current series that I'm working on is actually a whole series of somewhat revealing self-portraits that I've set up an environment of myself uh, to essentially go back to Eden, uh, to the to the old, the myth of Adam and Eve. But I'm taking myself back into it with the, with the help of... <laughs> It's a little weird, but it's true. This mannequin that I that I got, and trying to come back to this idea of you know just myself in 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 the, in, in the beginning of my time and who am I and beginning to to just see what I can do visually with that idea and because in a sense I'm not afraid anymore. And hearing Lana say you don't have to be afraid anymore really, you know, even at my age, 79, I mean, 69 years old, I mean, it's like, wow, that's a powerful message. And I got it. I don't have to, I can be, and I accept myself for all of whoever, you know, the difficulties, the, the, the problems of, of who I am. That's okay. Because I, I am me and I like me you know if i can share you know that's what when we're walking around chicago in a sense that's what i'm sharing with with everything that i'm coming into contact with it's just not people but it's also the 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 buildings themselves the architecture the the trains the the and just you know the visuals of everything it and then of course people oh my god how many amazing people did we come across in Chicago? And that's so true of, like, the world. I mean, it's like, I feel like I'm constantly traveling now with the eyes of a traveler who's, who's left their, in a sense, their little village or town or whatever, and has gone off onto this journey of things that are really different and I've, you know, for me, it's exciting and wonderful to view the world this way. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the kind of, of coming back to Sense8 and the, and the, um, the collectiveness and, and, the, and the sharedness that, that is, is exemplified with the characters and with the storyline of how they share each other's strengths. In a sense, if I can have that kind of multifaceted view of the world, what a better life that I get to live, just like the each of the characters get to have a better life because of their, uh, their connectiveness with all their others. Yes, absolutely makes sense. I just want to say thank you very much for, for sharing all of that, you know, being inspired by lana even at a man of your age right just like holy cow that's awesome for our everybody including myself to just say oh you know what you know 
Wanda really is affecting people and you're, you're, you're on here because we know you live the sensate life the best you can just like, and that's what we want. That's why I'm glad you shared all of that stuff with us. Um, because you're out there doing it and that's what our message is all about. And that's what's important and is a really great example to just, you know, another permission slip for everybody. Oh, you know, if James is doing it, so can I, you know, if Lana's doing it, so can I. And that's kind of the thing. That's, that's what's going to set everybody free to be the most authentic self they can be. In my opinion, um, the more we observe each other doing these things. So sharing all that wisdom, like having the eyes to be able to cultivate, having the eyes of a traveler wherever you go and being open and open to life and what you receive in all its forms. Like it, it was very contagious. Yeah. To be that's with what you. I was going to say. Like you shared that with us. So right. you share the eyes of the people and then we shared with you and took that wonder. I mean, the wonder that you invoke in yourself and all the people around you is contagious. And it did feel like another sensate experience to be able to share that and then to be able to, even when you're across the country, to be able to say, oh, yeah, let me look with James's eyes today. Right. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, it's it's amazing to be alive, and it is such a delight. Um, even even in this time of when there, you know, the our the state of this country, the state of uh, my fellow citizens in America, as well as my fellow world people, this to me is a very conflicted time and. To be really um, not overwhelmed with the negativity and the hatefulness and the mean-spiritedness um, that seems to have a louder and louder voice, um, and to know that you know there is a balance to that meanness, and that is when we can share love and understanding between each other and those you know it just begins with an even even though you know i am a we it has to begin with an i to to become a we right. and they, yep. you, know, you have to you know you know for me it's just you know i need to be me and appreciate me and by doing that of course it gives me the um the privilege to be able to experience other people's uniqueness. And it doesn't have to be overly obvious. I mean, just walking down the street, you see amazing faces and, and amazing things that are going on of how people are navigating. All of us, all of us humans, I like to say, who are trying to figure out how to navigate in this world. And it's really interesting and it's thrilling. Well, just the magic of walking down the street right. for me. Yeah, for, for me, yeah. just being open and seeing people. So I don't know if you recall this moment, but just being open to people. There were, We were standing in Millennium Park, and it was time for a bathroom break and maybe some water. And so we're kind of just standing out there because the ladies' restroom lines in Chicago are huge. I mean, they're they're everywhere, but I mean, there's so many people. So it's just long lines. And 
we're chilling outside and there's this guy man he you know he's I was like, this guy, he is a very charismatic person and he's just walking his, everybody is just kind of doing their own thing. And he's got this walk and he's just walking in a nice slow pace and he's got a giant smile on him and he starts flirting and dancing with these ladies and stuff. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just looking at this guy, soaking him up and he's having a great time because he's just smiling and starts dancing with strangers, you know? And then he walks up to me and I look him in the eyes and he looks me in the eyes and we just smile and we just hug. And that was one of the experiences I had with a stranger in Chicago because I was open to people and him. I'm not saying this happens all the time, but there is very positive experiences because I think underneath the cultural atmosphere and story, I think underneath all of that, I believe that human beings really don't want that. I believe that we do want to be open. We do want to be connected with each other. It's just we have to consciously open up and just be that way ourselves because if we don't open up to those experiences, there's no potential for us to have them. I agree totally, Zach. And I remember I was standing, I was watching all that (laughs) there, right there when he Everything you described, and I too watched that guy. It was amazing. It was awesome, and his fullness and his and his sense of self and coming over to those women and just and the woman was like, "Wow, this is great!" And she starts dancing with him, and then you're you're you're, so I understand completely. And you know what? With that, with the story and what you were saying earlier, um, I think it is such an important point that you made about I am also a we means that we, that there, it starts with an I, that if we are a we, which we are, then there's an, a responsibility to also make ourselves the best I that we can be because that's what's contributing to the we. So if we take the um, the metaphor of the cluster sharing and even look through the series as it evolves, each of those individuals within the cluster are becoming more of who they are, more authentic, more um, altruistic and true to themselves. And as they do, they're able to contribute more to the cluster. And that same aspect goes to us. And then the we shares back to us and makes us a more able to be even more of ourselves. So like you showed up very much a part of yourself. You shared that with us and the people around you. You have that experience. And then you go back home and your art takes another level because you've changed from that experience. And it's just a beautiful synergy that we're moving through in this dance of life. Oh, well said, Sheila. Very well said. And yeah, I the core, you know, the core question is always is saying, uh, what is the best me? And how does one find that? And, you know, it seems like my path has taken me many years, in a sense, to really, in a sense, come to the full understanding of who is the best me mm-hmm. and to really um, to embrace that. And that's what, again, I, I come back to what um, Lana was saying, was the acceptance of, of who you are 
all of the aspects of who you are. But accepting, you know, for me, accepting myself has really freed me up from trying to prove things to other people, trying to to be something that, you know, I may have had pieces of, but it really wasn't the real me. And by accepting that maybe I'm never going to be any of that, so why should I even try to even prove to somebody that I am something like that, but just to really emphasize what is my core and who I am, and, and in a sense, embrace myself and run with it, so to speak, is absolutely delightful. Does that make sense? It does. And I just got to thank you again for sharing that, because I know there's so many people out there as we were on the, the cusp of new conscious understandings of ourselves in this dichotomy, you know, this, this polarity of our cultural economical political situation and at the same time we're just in there trying to be that that greatest self that we can be and you sharing that is awesome so i I really have to thank you a lot for expressing that for everybody to listen to as you are an example as well and you you are a very gifted uh photographer and i want to know how you use photography to celebrate life's diversity well, I, I'm going to kind of expand on a little bit because I've been thinking about this uh, a fair amount. I remember hearing Lana give a talk uh, to a group um, about how that transgender people ha- are in a very unique position in in the world and that they, they don't fall into really many into what we consider the recognized groups of people, men, women, gay, straight, or whatever. And so the idea for me is that now that there are so many, in a sense, it's no longer the idea that women and sovereignty, I think this is a question that I remember we had talked about, uh, women having sovereignty over their bodies, and what it means to me, and that, and I've been thinking a lot about that because it's the idea of bodies. It's not the defining an idea of that a male body or a female body uh, has sovereignty. They all should. So I've decided to really start looking at it as more the equality. Equality, you know what I'm trying to say, equality of bodies. In other words, all bodies. It doesn't matter if you identify or that you feel that, you know, your body, however it is, has just as much equality as my body. So if all bodies, if we have a place of where all bodies have equal value, so it isn't because I've for me, long ago, I, I kind of had a, uh, a marker for me of when civilization, in a sense, had moved the step forward from, in a sense, our barbaric ways. And for me, that, that defining moment would be when women, all women, throughout the world, just not in one country, but throughout the world, can, can have 
in a, the same control over their bodies as men do. But that led me to the thought of, well, what happens if you identify as, you know, in a sense, you know, maybe both male and female are, you know, that you started off as one. And so it led me into this progression of realizing that really it isn't just simply women having control and, and the equal equality of their bodies, but how about everybody should have that same equality, however they want to decide who and what their body is. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. It's interesting because as you were talking, I started to think about the whole, you know, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, and both are true, but it doesn't negate the other. Like, right now, half the population of the world, in a way, um, in most cultures, don't have um, legal rights over their body just by being female. And, and I think that's absolutely true. And it does go beyond that in the sense that um, who gets to define what you are. And then we've got the bathroom issue and all these bizarre things that go even beyond the women having sovereignty over their own body. And I thought about that with the Black uh, Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. And it's that remembering that moving into a state where you remember that the fullness is when we all reach this point doesn't negate the steps that lead us there in which we have to support people in reaching that. But I think... It is a. It, it was interesting because when you first said that to us, um, we were on the deck having coffee, <laughs> um, and we got into the you know into politics a bit. And I, just as an aside, I kind of flashed to wow, this is kind of like when um, Grace and Amanita and Nomi and the dads are all having coffee and talking politics in in the de- on the deck in. Uh, since eight, but so it was a surreal moment. But you said that then you asked us what our marker point was, and I don't know that we had one, but you were very clear that that would be the marker point for you, which is beautiful and and brilliant. And yet, I think you're right that then it keeps going. Right? I think when we're all sovereign, that's. Yeah, I would agree that it's a good marker point because, I mean, we just talked about this. In order for us to be the best we we can be, we have to be the best I. And in order to be the best I, we have to be free. (laughs) Right. And we have to have, we have to be allowed, you know, for our bodies, as long as we're not harming other people to be who we are. Because, you know, I think Lana is a beautiful example of trusting herself Mm -hmm. and then being courageous and following through because of I can't even imagine the trials and tribulations that she's been through to get to where she's at to make the art that she does today but the 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 culture of humanity really needs to under the it's the found to me it's just the basic understanding of life and the potential of humanity is in order for us to all succeed in being the 
best we possibly possibly can be for the collective, for the whole, for the race of humanity, we have to be the best individual. And in order for that, we have to recognize that we need to let other people be the best individuals they can be so we can actually start to move in that direction. So I agree with you, James. Thanks, Zach. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, if, if you just you know, look at it, you know, what the, the amount of potential that, that, in a sense, men are denying themselves and the harm that, that we as men are doing to ourselves by denying 50% of the population their true potential, how idiotic is that? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just think about how much better, how many more amazing things, how, how what, a, what just on so many different levels, the world would be so much better. My life as a man, my, my son's life would be better as a man if, 50, if, the, other, if, if, if the other half of the population, meaning women in this case in that definition, having to be able to know that whatever their potential was, was available to them to be able to, to explore, to be able to produce, to be able to have. And that's like with Lana, using her, her cinemagraphic arts and her ability to tell a story, and this amazing story of Sensei wrapping all of those kinds of humanistic things that, that you know, she talks about and putting them into these eight individuals who are now collectively sharing their 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 worldliness, their their lives with and their their talents with, just like they become stronger, we would become stronger as men if we would sit there and say, "Right on, keep going. You know, you're the best to all women, whoever." And you know, if, and then of course, as I moved on to all people without the kind of definition uh, you know even though this is a huge struggle and this is going to take years of struggling and for her you know black america to finally have an equal place with all uh, it doesn't you know all people of all color how amazing that's going to be it's going to take years of struggle to move that forward because we have been so stupid <laughs> Amen. And, you know, self-defeating in the past. I mean, just think of the potential to, the, to humanity that if every single baby who was born had essentially the opportunity to, to go forth in life with all the potential that life has inherently to it. How many Einsteins, how many Michelangelos throughout, you know, history of how many remarkable individuals have come from limiting people. How many remarkable people can come from when we don't limit people? Yes. I know. What an incredible world we will have when that's happening. Because I believe it will happen. Well, you see that in Sensei. That's my point of right. reading this back. You see what they're able to accomplish, you know, just with each other and how their lives are, you know, to overcome this huge adversity that they're faced with collectively and equally. And there is no, you know, well, 
I'm a man, so I can do this better than you can because you're, you know, you're a woman. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Sung Duna Bay is like the, she is so great and amazing. And yet you would, you would look at her in your standard, typical way of looking at a person go, ah, that person can't do nothing. (laughs) Oh yeah. Watch them. (laughs) Man, we this this subject is so big. <laughs> Could talk about it for so long. You know, when you talk about understanding human potential and what's going on with a human being, you know, in America, we're sent off to these public schools that teach us how to show up for a job, right? And how to do math and remember things. And they don't really touch upon what it means to actually, like, be a human being like we don't our education system doesn't even focus first on hey little johnny little susie this is actually what it means to be a human being and here's how you handle your emotions and do all these other things and belief systems and we don't start there first so we have that aspect and then to understand that human beings within all of us we have male and female energy that we have to balance within us so it's not really about one thing or another right so we have this aspect of how much feminine, how much masculinity is right for the particular individual, and they have to figure that out. But having who's giving our, our youth these concepts, right? And then on top of that, it's about val- what do we value as human beings? And I think to me, the biggest issue is value. You know, what we value, we, we think things, we, we put a, a price tag on a lot, so many things and what things are valuable and what aren't. And So one of the things that I see degrading a little bit in America is the family union. The distance that we have that still appears between where we are and where we want to be may seem as long as the distance from where we came from to where we are now. But because of the momentum picking up like an avalanche, the rapidness of which we can get there, I believe and hope with each generation will just accelerate. So I graduated high school in 1967. It was the summer of love. It was truly a time of love for my generation and the possibilities that we all uh, felt. Um, And imagine that my generation would have had social networks and the possibility of, of instantly communicating across in this case, across the entire country or across the entire world at that time. What a difference that would have made for for my generation moving forward. Because later on, it just seemed like we were more and more isolated. There wasn't any sense of how to, to, you know, combine us. And we became fractured. And, you know, that's where I see something different happening now. I mean, I see it in my in my own children. Uh, who are, you know, soon, my daughter will be soon 30 um, in a year or so, and and my son is, you know, rapidly getting there as well. So, but their generation is quite different, as well as all, every time I go to San Francisco or, you know, any metropolis or anywhere, young people, how amazingly thrilling and exciting and different they are about so many of these things that, that acted to divide us, this idea of that, you know, in a sense, it's, again, coming back to sense eight, 
that that how collective they are. This idea that you're separated by 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 genders, no big deal. Or that you want to love somebody that you know is as as a, your same gender, no big deal. The, you know, oh, you come from this sort of social economic background. Oh, and I come from this. No big deal. I mean, I see that in in so many different aspects with with this current generation and meaning not only the kids who are in their 20s now, but also in the, in the kids who are rising before them. And I have, for me, they give me hope. Me too. Know? Me yeah. too. Um, and, you know, they, the, the directions and the, their sensitivities have in so many ways evolved and are much more compassionate and much more humanistic than than the the, the meanfulness and the rigidity that that you know, that my generation seems to have locked itself into and and to somehow have forgotten that time of 1967 of when we had such a spirit of of optimism and love and thrill about being out there and of course you know that was highly exclusionary i mean we were you know you know gays you know men loving men you know back in this in that time was not something you really even saw you talked about you experienced or anything but what a difference that is now to where you know you, you that's available and i and i there was one other thing i really wanted to mention that for myself you know that I have to work with my own sense of uh, judgments, uh, whether they be on on viewing people by body size or, you know, I have to work every single day with my own internal judgments. Um, and it's, you know, it's relatively easy to work with them because, you know, they, but they're still there. I mean, I, I judge people unfairly for terrible reasons and that's just part of being human you, you you to me it's not something you ignore you it's not something you make yourself feel bad no you you understand that's part of uh, for me of who i am but you know what i'm better than all those judgments because i choose to do something that's not in that negative judgmental form i'll do something in a positive way and that's how you know that i choose and it's the act of choosing because it's the it's those choices are thrown at me every single day in a variety of ways, and I actively will choose a more positive one. But it's an active choice. It's not you just simply magically pass through some sort of barrier, and and you never have negative, judgmental, you know, terrible thoughts about other people of of the human race. No, you work through them. You you decide. You know, no, I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not going to be supportive of that. And and I'm not going to. You know, I'm not. I'm going to. I'm going to do something different. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So James, you mentioned your generation kind of forgot what it was to be in that summer of love. Is there? Do you see any way to have maybe? prevented that prevent that from happening i know it kind of happens to all of us but do you have any advice for us and the listeners and young people out there who are who are kind of 
you know, they have that youth youthfulness and they see potential in life and they have all the youthful energy to see those things happen. Do you have any recommendations for us not to get locked in or forget that summer of love, so to speak, metaphorically, so we don't become that rigid when we're a little bit older? Sure. Um, first of all, social media allows you something that we never, that I didn't have because it was that isolation in a sense of your own, your own isolation that you put yourself in your own job, your own way of doing things. And that, and if you, and if you know that other people are feeling the same as you do now that I see on social media for good or for bad of, you know, being used in, as all things in good ways and bad ways. But to share with each other that I see that of giving your heart, of sharing your wisdom with joy that you see, uh, sharing in others with their joy. In other words, be a participant in their joy of when they, they have something. This is just my own personal life lessons that I've learned. And that for many years, I spent a lot of time in self-pity and self-doubt in knowing that if I could have somehow been able to wrestle with those a little bit earlier and to, and to find a belief in myself, it would have been better. But my journey took me to be into my 60s before I was able really to love myself. And it's a simple thing. You know, we said it way back in the 60s and such. You got to love, got to love yourself, and love others. And that power of, of love and how it, how you, you know, speaking to the listener now, to how you can find that in yourself and to be yourself and by being yourself, to share that honestly with others. Approach them the same way that you're approaching yourself with that love and being know that they're struggling with their own judgments and their own difficulties and to be compassionate with them and to be supportive of them just as you want them to be compassionate and supportive of you. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with all of us. As you were speaking, and yes, that was beautifully said, um, it, I started thinking of your art, your photography, and flashing images that I've seen um, that you've shared with us. We're going to include several of your photographs in the write-up on the website. So everyone listening, if you didn't come in through the, the main website of livesensate.com, be sure to go there so that you see his images. But James, can you share a little bit about your images and how that reflects what you just said? I'm, and I'm not even sure you're ready to share some of your newer images, but those are some of the ones that are flashing in my mind as you speak of that self-love and that process that you're in right now with the new photography and then like both aspects of what you said because with some of your older work there's also some reflection of the love that you see and the compassion that you see in others when you take their picture or even if you include some of the pictures of us on our trip, it's what you're seeing through the loving eyes and sharing in community. So 
Is there anything that you can say specifically? And I don't know if we've chosen the images yet, but if if some of the images pop to your head that you can kind of talk to us about for a moment. Sure. Well, they're kind of uh, it's they're kind of two broad areas for me. The one is uh, before, meaning essentially in the 1970s and early 80s, uh, my black and white, essentially uh, broadly put environmental portraiture. Um, and there's a sense of, for me, humanity and love of people. I mean, uh, I would hope that, you know, I'll try to put some up of Hispanic youth in, in um, San Francisco and the mission area, as well as uh, some of my uh, worker series. Unfortunately, I have to, I, I have limited images to be able to offer to the world because a number of years ago, all my negatives were destroyed. Oh. So I, I only have prints of my 70s, you know, and so whatever I have, there are a lot of other negatives that I'm love to be able to share but so yeah i'd hope when people look at that just to just to look at them just you know i i there's some wonderful images of of people that i think are you know just great to look at um and just you know just enjoy to to look at them as as humanity and just people that i've come across in a sense and you know lives that i've been able to share and then the other the other is the now photographs, essentially beginning uh, 2010-ish, 2012-ish. And the, those type of images of where I can, basically I construct an environment and I photograph it. Even going back to the black and white days, my, my photographs are full frame. There's no cropping. Uh, everything, in other words, everything happens in that moment inside that camera. Very little is, you know, I, of course, I was a pretty good dark room technician and produced some pretty good prints. But now in this modern era with uh, Photoshop and such, pretty much all of my constructions that I photograph are straight out of the camera with very little, uh, there's maybe a little saturation, maybe a little contrast, a little of that, but there's no you know, using none of the elaborate tools that Photoshop or Lightroom gives you, um, I don't do anything. I just really like photographing, constructing an environment, uh, and then photographing it, which is it's a little bit different. They have, there's a lot of, you know, messages for me of, of things that I was wrestling with, with about um, sex, religion, you know, beauty, the kind of um, sense of how we get manipulated by things, how how money plays into to people's lives, and I've been able to kind of construct these environments and put together elements that I then photograph that become representational for me of certain kinds of I don't know you know stuff that mean stuff to me, but I tell, oftentimes I just tell other people when there are other viewers, people who are looking at my images, make up your own story. You know, this is, you know, just, you know, I just want it to be visually something you look at and you go in and go, that's really interesting, but what's going on? And <laughs> in a sense, I, you know, a black and white photograph, my, in my portraitures are pretty much easy reads. In other words, you look at them and 
it's like you you know you get it and then you also know that there's something the emotional context uh, you know the idea of having a head heart and hand meaning your your, your head is kind of the the idea of the photograph uh, your heart is the emotional impact that that image has in it and then of course your hand is are you able you know the mechanics and all of those should integrate themselves seamlessly so that one in other words the technique you're not kind of going god i can't look at that because it has splotches all over it or whatever or the you know the composition is goofy or something and you know but then it has to have an emotional impact it has to have something that that grabs you and you know people faces and and how and how many you know how people go through the human life experience is visually you know very interesting for me and so you know it's and then you know so all those those components have to work together so my newer work is for me it's because they're constructions in a sense it's just like I don't want it to be quite such an easy read I want it to there's a multitude of depths and things that are going on and that I want to be, have somebody to be intrigued with it's kind of like you know one of my you know, an old favorite painter was was Rousseau and his construction of these jungle scenes with all these things going on in them and this human figure in them and or you know say like the same with Gauguin and such or you know there's just all this kind of stuff you want to look at and peer into and to keep peering you know I guess it's that keep peering into and revealing that I'm kind of going in that direction so Yes. Well, you you and got I, there. Yeah, <laughs> you got <for> there. Sure. <laughs> you definitely, they're intriguing and they draw you in and they they make you think. Um, just everybody, when you look at these, just remember he said they're not photoshopped. Like that's another piece of the you know mechanical side of the art that's incredible because they definitely look like they were created on a computer in a lot of ways and yet you created those all through tangible art it's cool very, very cool very cool, very cool. <laughs> now james do thank you, you. Yeah, thank yeah you're welcome do you want to go ahead and give a quick summary of your book bitter melon and where our audience members can pick it up sure bitter melon uh was a series of my imagey of my neighbors that I lived with here in the town of Lock, the 1970s, and I came back in the 1980s and with my co-author, Jeff Gillenkirk, we did a series of oral histories. So it's a combination of their stories of how they came to be here in America and the struggles and the successes that they were able to, to persevere and to accomplish. There's also a historical um, overview written by Su Chung Chan, who started the uh, Asian Studies Departments in the California University system. So you get a real anchor of, of why the Chinese came to the Sacramento Delta, what their importance is in the history of California, uh, and, their, and the importance of the Chinese experience in America, which is phenomenal. PBS just had a, a series, uh, I think their civilization series, and it was about the Chinese Exclusion Act, the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, and how that was barred 
specifically Chinese from coming into America as well as being um, citizens of America. Yeah. And so Locke uh, is kind of the history of that. And it's a fascinating book. It was published originally by the University of Washington in 1987. It won the California Commonwealth Award for Best California History for that, for that year. It was reviewed in the New York Times and the New Yorker very favorably, and it's still in continuous print, and there'll be a link, and you can write me directly. Jeff and I took over publishing, the, the physical publishing and distributing the book now after the University of Washington and Heyday, which we really want to thank for their involvement with the book. Uh, but we So write me directly. And- Excellent, and we'll have that on the write-up as well. Right. right. James. My brother, thank you so much for coming and talking with us about how you got welcome into the Sensate family. Thank you for being open and honest with us in in your life and how you strive to live the Sensate way through your eyes every day and sharing your photography and your wisdom with us as you know you're you're an older man and you have seen some things that us younger people haven't seen and you were able to give us some some wise words of wisdom to not make the same mistakes your generation did so i really appreciate that yes very i love you both as i said you're just (laughs) amazing individuals and humans and you you enriched my life no Uh thanks James. (laughs) (laughs) James. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, ditto. <laughs> ditto. Love you so much and love Maximilian. And thank you for being here. And do you want to ev- be an. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. I want to say one more time support the mural project that Max is doing. I am a we. I am a we. We are stronger being together. So support that mural project. It's great. And that's on Kickstarter. If you search I am also we on Kickstarter, of course, we will also have it on our Patreon and on our website for you to look at. So and donate to and share. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you. Thank you. I'll do the... That's the clapping. clapping. (laughs) Everybody's at home clapping, right? (laughs) In their car, they're clapping. Everybody's clapping. (laughs) And a big thank you to James Motlow for joining us on the Live Sense 8 podcast today. Thank you very much for spending your time with us and listening. I hope you enjoyed James's wisdom that he shared. I sure did. And a big thank you to our editor of the podcast, Sarah Applegate. If you want to get in touch with us, head over to the Twitter. Our handle is at live underscore sense eight. You can send us an email at team at live sense eight dot com. Please consider supporting the show. Every every dollar, every little bit helps out. We have some excellent perks over there on Patreon, and that which includes extended conversations. We have classes. You can get a spiritual reading with Sheila Applegate. You can also get sponsored and have a little sponsorship section on our show to promote your business or project. So please head over to patreon.com forward slash live 
Sense8 to do that. And also, just a reminder, it, I, if when you go over to iTunes or whatever platform you're on, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., if you give us a five-star rating and a review, that would be most excellent and most helpful. And thank you again for all you do on social media, sharing with your friends. Until next time, stay connected. Stay connected.